0: Welcome to the Mexico Business Now podcast, this is a view from the top, an open space for industry experts to share knowledge, information, and expertise on the most relevant topics, events, and happenings on their corresponding sectors. Welcome everyone to a new episode of the Mexico Business Now podcast. I'm your host, Perla Velasco, and today with me I have Gianluca Leskovic, results-driven digital strategy leader. With over five years of expertise, Alex Kovich has specialized in guiding businesses through digital challenges, maximizing efficiency based on project KPIs, and cultivating highly engaged teams. Gianluca, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. I'm excited for the conversation we're about to have today.
1: It's my pleasure. Thank you, Perla.
0: Excellent. So first, I would like to give you this space for you to introduce yourself, your role within the companies you work in and all the areas you work in.
1: For sure. Well, my name is Gianluca, and nice to meet you all. Well, I have been living in Europe, in Vienna, in Austria, since 2018 until recently when I moved back to Mexico, and I have been through various industries. Mainly, I have been in banking industry, in the finance sector, in the oil and gas sector, in the retail sector, and always focusing into the digital strategy, marketing, forecasting, and project management. Also, we include a bit of market research. My career starts in 2018. I also form academically in Austria, I did a bachelor's in business administration. I did a master's in finance. And all of this knowledge at the same time was blended in with the pandemic. It was blended in with the professional experience. We went through turbulences, but all these experiences bundled up helped me to understand how markets work, global markets work, since all the companies I was mainly working with were operating on regional basis in Europe and as well in worldwide basis. So it's very important when you're operating a company and you understand your market to understand the seasonalities. You need to understand who are your clients, who are your customers, who are your users. And you need always to find a way how you can deliver and maximize the value to the customer. doesn't matter if it's delivering energy, if it's delivering financial services, or you are trying to deliver fashion or any kind of wholesale items. So summing up all of these experiences and my journey, I could say it's always important to understand what is your main goal as a business, what is the value you want to deliver. You need to know where are your customers and how you can deliver that value. And at the same time, you want to maximize the value of the company by being the best in the market. Either you have the best delivery rates, you have the best quality, you have the best customer service, you have the best pricing, but it's very important to always stay competitive as I said, to deliver the most value.
0: Excellent. And let me say what a time to learn was the pandemic. There's definitely a before and after, and not only because of the pandemic, but market behavior definitely changed. And you're here to tell us about all of that. So let's dive into emerging trends and your experience. And how do you filter through the noise of transient fats to identify lasting and transformative shifts? And what specific criteria guide your vision regarding the investment choices in Mexico?
1: It's really hard to identify what's a fad and what's a, a market value product, yeah? something that can provide value to the customers. When the internet first popped out in, the, in 2000, people thought it was a fad, but they really did not understand the long-term value of the internet. So it's really hard to identify a fad on spot there's always some time that you need to let, you need time to, to, to show if it's a really something that fits the market and provides value to the customers. A different example. Let's say during the pandemic, the trend of NFTs and Bitcoin exploded. People were in the house, they were looking how they could manage investments. And after the pandemic in 2022, starting in 2023, the trend of NFTs died. So then you could assume NFTs are is a fad but actually the technology behind NFTs is really valuable. It does have a market fit, but we still need to see how we can implement it to our daily activities, our daily business. So it's really important to give some time to the product to develop and to show its value. A different example, OpenAI ChatGPT. So at the beginning, you could say, will this be a fad or will this be here to stay? People got panicked. They thought they will lose their jobs. We will have unemployment, AI is going to replace us, but as you can see, this is a tool that only complements your job. So this is not a fad, it's here to stay, it's evolving, and it's actually improving the way we work and the way we can deliver value inside of the workspace or to our clients. That's very important, so it's always quite important to let a product settle into the market and to let people react to it and see how it fits. It's really hard to identify what's a fad and what's not. now. How we can implement this to Mexico? Mexico is living a historic moment. I would compare it to the Free Trade Treaty of the 90s. Why? Historically we are living in an economic cycle that will be happen maybe in the next 40 years. Right now the conditions, the geopolitical tensions of the whole planet are leading Latin America to be one of the world powers. Why? Europe needs to find where to buy their energy supplies. They are looking to Latin America. America is looking where they can find the sources of raw materials. They're looking to Mexico. Actually, I was just reading yesterday, Europeans are starting to try to post more import tariffs to Mexican products. Why? Because Mexican products are overflowing the European market. So what's happening? It means that Mexico has a chance to stand up and become the, the second larger economy on the planet. Maybe not in the next few years, but it's living something that China was living 20 years ago. Rapid growth is uh, facing uh, incoming immigration, population growth, market development, economic growth. Actually right now, this year, 2023 that just passed, we had the, the lowest uh, unemployment rate. So Mexico is actually leaving something uh, historic that I think we need to take advantage of and we need to promote all of these factors to our counterparts all over the world, to the Europeans, to the Americans, to the Chinese, to Middle East we need to become a new hub of development and growth and this is actually something I believe is quite attractive
0: okay so very interesting yeah actually we were talking with some colleagues and it's interesting that you tell us about this historical and economical cycle we were talking about is this the once again the Mexican miracle where once again we can see a glimpse of Mexico's importance in the global market so now how can Mexico prepare from your perspective What is Mexico doing and what can Mexico do in this position it is right now in the world?
1: That's a challenging question. Why? Because there's a lot we are doing already and there's a lot more we can be doing. I do have a circle of European investors close to me that I'm speaking, not on a regular basis, but sometimes we meet up and we share ideas. And when I pop out the idea of investing in Mexico, there's still not enough confidence for foreign investors to bring There are investments, family offices, VCs, hedge funds to bring everything, or to try to increase their portfolio share in Mexico. They're still looking to Dubai, they're looking to the Middle East, maybe it's closer, but we need to start showing people that Mexico is a place to invest. We need to show them that there's trust, that there's development, there's growth, there's security, and it's a stable country. The difference between Mexico and China, for example, I was reading yesterday as well, there is a hedge fund that due to the lack of transparency on the Chinese politics, they had to close the hedge fund. They had a minus 18% loss on their portfolio. And they couldn't sustain it, so they had to close. Why? Because the policymakers had no transparent ruling, so he could not understand how the market was moving and how was this impacting his business. This is something that you can see in Mexico. There is transparency, this is a democracy. So, it's not a perfect democracy, but it's a democratic country. There are strong autonomous institutions that can help the market to keep growing. So, we need to show people hey, Mexico is a trustable and reliable partner. It's a trustable into place investments, and there's growth, and it's continuous. This last administration of AMLO actually showed that it was economically the best performing economy for the last four presidents. So, if you like him or not, it's something but they, that shows that the Mexican economy is resilient, is strong, and it could be something of a potential interest for the whole planet.
0: Yeah, once again, really interesting, and also I was just reading how the World Economic Forum, they talk about how financing had to get smarter, more creative, and more flexible to face these challenges, especially in now knowing where to invest to actually develop the challenges the world is facing, let's say sustainable trends. Financing has to get smarter for that, right? So what can you tell us about getting more creative in financing?
1: So there's always trends of investments. There's always, it depends the portfolio of the investor, yeah? Okay. Sometimes people like to invest in more risky assets. Sometimes people want more stable trends. Personally, I have invested in stocks, in cryptocurrencies and ETFs. Real estate, I have been trying to diversify, to learn. I have had massive losses. Right now, I believe people should always try to to pursue something that is more also around because of this period of time where there's a lot of uncertainty. There we are having armed conflicts around the world. There is a lot of insecurity. We have the presidential elections in the U.S. and in many countries. So we might see a more polarized world where we have the so-called West, so the, the, the democracies of Europe, the U.S. and Japan and other countries, so the so-called West, and And the the block of China, Russia, Iran. So this is something that right now might just be news as this happens, but it's something that will have long-term impact on the economy and how the world will be developing. So it's very important to identify where do you want to invest? Where do you want to be safe? Or where do you want to take your risks? Uh, just recalling what you said a couple of minutes earlier, this hedge fund uh, had a massive loss in China, and China is a quite a profitable market. Okay, Apple left, Tesla still has the giga factory. So, you know, that it depends what is your aim, what is the industry you are looking for, and what kind of risks you want to take. You need to try to mitigate the risk. Maybe you want to hedge the, the risk, but uh, for small investors or for small companies, since so there's a lot of uncertainty in the market, they should try to find a way to build the solid ground, solid financial grounds, and try to seek how they can increase exponentially. Right now, this is a very attractive time to bring foreign companies to Mexico. And not only for them just to take over the market, but this is actually an interesting way on how Mexican companies can start doing business with foreign companies inside Mexico. Not only in the manufacturing sector, but also in the retail sector. So there's uh, new companies bring new people to the, to the market. So there's many ways that we can uh, improve the situation.
0: Of course, there is actually a very valuable opinion because if yet not 100% of people investors are, are investing in certain trends, there's a reason for that. And for me, it's very valuable to, to understand your opinion on that, on why there is room for improvement to actually invest in these trends, in these ESG trends. As much as they are important, they have room for improvement. Would you agree with that?
1: So ESG, I believe, has lost a, quite a traction. So in the okay. in the last couple of years, many hedge funds and many investment companies and holdings have withdrawn their investments from ESG. As you can see, the Republicans in, in the US, they're actually saying, this is not materializing, you know? We do need petrol, we do need oil, we do need to these energy sources to keep a growing economy and to sustain the way of life we have. So ESG, I believe, as it does has a purpose, and it's a quite noble purpose, I don't believe it's quite attractive as an investment. It's a quite a long-run investment. Okay. Not many investors are keen to invest in such trends. But uh, I believe we need to start promoting somehow a more normal way of investing into the sustainability of the planet indeed there's global warming indeed we're having many conflicts but the the way we can start investing into such trends Mm -hmm. is first of all with education and making sure that there is a purpose financial purpose and living purpose as the Saudi oil company remains the second or third most valuable company in the world i don't believe there's too much confidence on ESG we will might uh, need to have more renewable energy companies on the top 50 companies to start thinking. Okay, you know, there's better returns when investing into sustainability mm-hmm. than in traditional energy companies.
0: Okay, great. That's interesting. I actually have a background in energy and oil and gas. I write something about that. So yeah, it's something that I think it's not well understood within the general public, but within financial advisors, within investors, is well known that there's still a long time yet for them to be very stable investments, right? They're still a little bit risky, right, at this time in history, I will say. And with that, I want to circle back to, to our conversation from the beginning, the geopolitical challenges and their impact, right? So as you navigated expansion into Western and Central Europe, what geopolitical intricacies pose the most substantial challenges, and how do you believe they could affect foreign investment in Mexico?
1: Well, right now, as I said, I believe Mexico and Latin America as a whole has the opportunity to become one of the world powers. There are so many conflicts in Europe and in Asia that uh, we need to start rethinking how is the economy evolving, what are the new trading routes, and how will this impact on the overall market. So, just to set an example, the hoodies from Yemen are disrupting the trading flow of ships and now they need to circle around Africa to get to Europe. That adds up at 300% cost to the shipping containers and it also adds day to the delivery route. And this is impacting heavily the economy of China. Now, how can Mexico can leverage this? If they find a way to make it more profitable to ship from Veracruz to Europe, that's already something that will, the Europeans will start appreciating. As I just said, the Europeans are looking to start putting more tariffs to Mexico, or to the heavy imports. But uh, once again, for example, a different example, the Belt and Road Initiative from China. It was something that went for almost for 20 years. And now Europe starts rethinking the relationship with China. Italy pulled out from the Belt and Road Initiative. And many other Baltic uh, countries are thinking also to pull it out. So this is something disrupting the trade from Europe with Asia and China overall. This giving also access to Mexico and Latin America to start becoming greater players on the market. So when it start thinking how we can start taking more advantages from this, I believe the Mayan train from Amlo that will cross from the Atlantic to the Pacific through the southern part of the country will become a rival to the Panama Canal. I believe it can become very profitable, but coming back to the part of fad or actual products, we will need to evaluate how profitable or how much can this train optimize the delivery from one side of the ocean to the other one. But I believe we are in the right spot. We are living in the right circumstances. We just need to start showing more confidence to the external markets that Mexico is a place to invest and a place where you can find a lot of growth.
0: Okay, perfect, excellent. It's interesting to see you navigate these challenges we are seeing because, as you said, I actually saw some projections of oil prices for this year in the Energy International Agency of the US. They didn't expect for this conflict playing out in the Middle East in the Red Sea. They didn't expect it for it to impact so much oil prices, at least not so early in the year. And as you say, you have to pay close attention to it because now they are more than impacting in a really huge way. It's a huge opportunity for Mexico if it finds ways to, to become more profitable for other countries to, to import from here, right?
1: So I believe, well, in this, in this specific sentence as you mentioned, the U.S. is right now the number one country in producing oil barrels. So they are actually very happy with the situation. This is something that they they profit from. Now, how can Mexico start profiting as well from this energy crisis? I do not see it. Mexico is not a massive producer of energy, but we do have the capacities and the environment to do it. Right now, I believe, uh, speaking to some entrepreneurs and some businessmen here in Mexico, I just arrived, so I still need to learn a bit more. But the CFE, the energy company of the state, controls everything. There is no way that we can start putting private investment to energy in Mexico, not even to, to the water switch. I was speaking to Mr. Tabe, the the governor of uh, Miguel Hidalgo here in Mexico City, and he says it's, it's a shame that there is, it's not allowed for private investments to go into the uh, into the energy sector, in this case for the water uh, sector in for the city. This could help to improve the situation massively. Why? Because sometimes we do not have the resources, or sometimes we do not have the capacity to take on the projects. Now, as I come back to Mexico, I see many more oil stations, many more brands than when I left before there was only Pemex. Now you can see five or six different oil charging stations. But still, we need, I believe we have the potential, first of all, to invest on traditional energy resources. But as well, Mexico has a huge potential to invest in renewable sources. We have a lot of sun. We do have both seas. And we have a lot of mountains where we can start getting neolic energy and there's a huge profit we can take from that. More than that, we have a a lot of mining resources that are required in Europe and in many parts of the world to start new industries. So we just need to find a balance between government and private sector when it's possible for both to relate and to cooperate and to keep developing the Mexican market.
0: Great, and you touched upon another geopolitical challenge in the moment, a political thing which is the elections, well, policy choices, right? Why is there no more invest, private investment in the energy sector for many reasons do, that have to do with this government, no? But the thing is, we have elections this year, and as a matter of fact, half of the world is going to go into elections this year, which, which is something that hasn't happened in quite a few decades. So it's also something to keep an eye out for, right? To see what is going to play out in terms of policy and many other, Countries and in major countries, Mexico, the US also has elections, also Europe, I believe, has many elections. So interesting to keep an eye out for that. And now moving on, considering your diverse skill set, how do you leverage your understanding of real estate, economics, and political theory to offer unique perspectives in addressing challenges that arise at the intersection of these disciplines and digital strategy?
1: So I believe th- Already for a couple of years, we are living on the data world, on the data market. We need to start leveraging how we can profit from utilizing data from our customers, from other companies' customers, and how we can learn from that. Once you understand your data, once you understand your business funnel from point A... To point Z, where you are maximizing value, you can start profiting from whatever industry or business you are. You need to make sure you can gather data and to put it to work, for example, real estate. Now as I just came back to Mexico, I can see that the market has a huge inflation. The prices are crazy, they are not uh, concrete, they don't make sense with the actual market. They are inflated prices. Why? We have a lot of expats coming from America doing short-term rentals, and property owners are thinking, wow. If I increase my prices maybe 100%, maybe 150%, I will start getting more profit. But actually, what I'm seeing is that people have had properties on sale for the past five years. They're not managing to sell the the, the properties with their new inflated prices. And I believe that's a result of lack of data. They are not understanding the market. They are going with a trend, a trend that they do not have basis on for these such prices. And they are missing on the business opportunity. Now, if when you are trying, once again, to think on many other business aspects. I believe nowadays you have social media, you have websites, you have analytics, you have AI, you have so many technological trends that even if you do not know how to use them, it's quite simple to find help. And right now I believe there's a lot of talent, cheap talent that can help your business in many ways, and they can help you to understand what can your next move be with the digital strategy. I believe all businesses from retail to real estate To finance to even politics requires a data strategy that will help them to understand better their business or better their project and actually will help them to have successful outcomes.
0: Excellent, information is power but more than that I've seen lately that how to manage that information is actually the key point in this digital era. So then again, moving on to our next question, and this has something to do with what you have talked to us throughout this conversation is when assessing an international obstacle with implications on the market, which are the key elements you believe should be looked at? And and especially because talking about information, there's so much data at this moment. There's so much information. There's so much noise. Then again, close to our first question. But what are the elements? How do you divide them?
1: So I will put a personal example and during the pandemic, me and a partner, we we took a Mexican tequila to Europe and we were having the containers crisis, we were having the glass crisis, we were having the agave crisis. So so many small factors impacting one industry that at the end resulted on highly inflated prices and a challenging year for the business. So depends your business or depends your industry, you should always be thinking once again, who are your clients, what is your product, what is your market, and how you can achieve value. Once you understand, for example, who are your clients, you need to understand the demographics, which is the country, who are they, and what are the general economic conditions. Something easy to understand how good can be a year, you can check how Christmas was. At the end of the year, we have this lagging effect we call in economics, where you see if the retail sales were powerful or they were weak. Depending on these metrics, you can understand if there's confidence in the market, people have money to spend, or if it was a low-season uh, event, then you will understand, okay, maybe we're in a, in a situation where people do not have enough money to spend. So you can assess your, client, uh, your clients or your users, or in this case, your, your niche uh, target market with some of these metrics. When you, under, you want to understand or assess your product, you need to understand Where is my product coming from? Maybe once again, if we are importing batteries from China to Germany to build our Mercedes-Benz or our electric cars, and we have a dysfunctional trade route due to the Howdy's, and we need to increase uh, the prices of the batteries, the importation costs due to these 10 extra days going through Africa, these are like so-called black swan events. They do not happen so often, so it's very hard to be ready for this to happen. Sometimes you can try to mitigate the risk with higher inventories, But at the end of the day, these are things that you need to react and try to assess during the process. It's always really hard to prevent something that is not expected to happen. So you can do a bit of a risk planning in the case of something of a major power happens, such as an armed conflict. And at the end of the day, once you have understood your market, you have your product, you need to define what's going to be the business strategy. Of course, many factors may sometimes... But when I'm speaking here to my Mexican colleagues in the business sector, they are always focusing, even nowadays, to the Mexican market. But they still not realize the opportunity they would have if they would start looking to the US. Or maybe they would start providing with a digital strategy. Most of these people still do not have a functional website, or they do not have a website at all. And even though this might not be their first source of income to have a website, it might open new opportunities. And from go to 0% revenue share of the company to go to 10% revenue share, it's a huge step. So I believe we should always constantly be updating our business way of working. The world is changing and there's new trends. There is new market opportunities. And it's very important to be aware of them because if not, you might pass on the big thing. And the same as Nokia, when iPhone came to life, they didn't realize the, the opportunity. They decided to stay with the same strategy and for me, in the most important company of phones in the world, they became a not so relevant uh, actor in the market. So it's very important to always stay up to date to the current trends. Hire younger talent, try to always go to more uh, continuous education events and always try to stay up to date with the news in the tech sector, in the business sector, in the political sector. And this actually might, might help your company to stay on the edge and to try to avoid a black swan event where you are not prepared for something that might be coming.
0: Excellent, absolutely valuable advice. And I am glad that we are having this conversation because you you have outlined many factors that once again, I think it's not common knowledge for people how intricate everything is, how complicated everything is. Why don't we just make EV cars Well, it's not 100% viable just yet? There are so many factors and as political tensions have arose throughout these past couple of years it has been a little bit more obvious and it has actually reversed some trends that we expected or would have hoped that had developed a lot more by now we would have loved to have solar energy all around the world right now but the thing is it became too expensive it became unviable, and then many countries have to resort to once again try to exploit more oil because they needed that energy. So there are so many factors, and you have made uh, great work on outlining them for us. So thank you for that. And now moving on to the last section of our interview, sadly. If you could give one piece of advice to our audience in your vision and perspective for the future, what would it be?
1: I believe uh, the most important thing that all Mexican companies or businessmen or just uh, your audience in general believing where they are based on Mexico. We need to stay positive uh, throughout the election cycle, throughout this uncertainty in the market. I do believe Mexico and Latin America as a whole uh, will become a huge block in the next few years and will have a great impact and a, and a big, a big uh, role in the world stage. We do have a lot of resources We have a huge portion of the global population. We have uh, growing financial markets. I believe uh, with time things will develop, but first of all, we need to try to promote security. Not in the sense of walking on the street, but on the security as that Mexico is a safe place to grow. Mexico is a safe place to build a business. Mexico is a safe place to bring investors. We are transparent. This is a democracy at the end of the day. It's not perfect, but it's transparent and we have solid and strong institutions that will maintain the country moving forward so this is something that we need to promote and we need to show to the Europeans to the Americans to more asian countries that there's opportunities in Mexico not only on the workforce but as well to develop new industries currently i'm working i'm not working but I'm participating in Coparmex and this group is actually doing many many efforts with many foreign uh, Diplomats to show them how Mexico is a, is a great place to invest and to grow and to take the risk which the risk is uh, way lesser than any other countries such as, for example, the Emirates. If you have an uncomfortable situation with the king, maybe you will get your assets frozen. In Mexico, there's some process. Uh, uh, it's something more, more concrete. You will know what will happen. So I believe uh, Mexico is a safe place to grow that's why I came back from Vienna, from the number one city on the planet, just to come back to Mexico. I believe there's great opportunity here. This is an historic opportunity, and if we take great advantage of it, a lot of wealth and opportunities can come out from
0: it. Of course. Now here, let's say right now, Mexico is like the land of potential for what's coming. Mexico
1: is the land of the dreams. Even some Americans are acknowledging it. There's great opportunity right now.
0: Excellent. Great to hear you say that. So now uh, our following questions is about if you have any podcasts or books you would like to recommend to our audience in line with what we have discussed today.
1: About a podcast, I don't know, but I do recommend people listening to Ian Bremer from EuroAsia Group. He's a great guy. I, sometimes he will have strong. He's a strong-opinionated person, but he's always showcasing the geopolitical factors in the world. He's actually giving great points of view on what's happening on the Middle East, in the USA, in Europe, in Mexico, in Latin America. He's a guy that will show you objectively and raw what's happening in the planet. Sometimes he will give his opinions, but this is very interesting because he delivers in a short format what is actually happening in the world. If you would like to know a bit more about some news and trends, Financial Times podcast on Spotify is great. Mexico Business Now does as well. They have a good podcast with businessmen. And in terms of books, I believe I'm a bit dry on books, uh, referring to geopolitical actions. But I believe uh, once you start reading more about historical facts and you start reading more about historical events such as, for example, the past two great wars that we had on the 20th century, you will start understanding some trends in human behavior. And I will just conclude this, this idea with a, with a sh- short form. When Russia invaded Ukraine, they had for at least two or three months build up a huge force along the border. And when you start seeing this, you can try to mitigate the risk by thinking what would happen if they actually invade Ukraine. And I was strong opinion that, okay, if Russia is putting 200,000 men in the border, it's not a joke. Maybe something will happen. And I had many friends telling me nothing will happen. It's just, it's just a training. But once you start understanding history and you start reading history and maybe when you watch movies or you can just study it, you will start finding patterns of human behavior. You can see how conflicts develop and that can also help you an edge on how you can mitigate future risk for your operation.
0: Of course, as you said earlier, historical cycles at the end of the day. And also, yeah, keeping an eye out for trends. Like as you say, Russia started to do things, to do certain things, building up to that first initial conflict in Ukraine that broke out. For example, steel, they were buying like a huge amount of steel and that was something that some analysts were saying like, Russia is buying a lot of still right now, and it it actually became every
1: risk strategy or mitigation of risk comes with skepticism. You need to think what is the worst case scenario, and you need to pray it doesn't happen. But in case it does happen, you will be prepared to be able to mitigate risk.
0: Of course, and I will say that's also a lesson from the pandemic, like we were all very comfortable in the ways that the world was. We were all very comfortable in the trade routes we have, but when they have to be interrupted, no one had a second choice, a second option, and that became a problem. Okay, so interesting. Thank you so much. If you have any last statements, this is the time. If not, thank you so much. It's been an interesting interview, and interesting conversation, and thanks. Thank, Thank you. To
1: you, Perla. Thank
0: you. Thank you. And for everyone listening, go check out Gion Lucas on his LinkedIn and his social media. Don't forget to follow us, leave a rating and a review on whichever platform you are using to listen to this podcast. And if you want to learn more about the Mexico business ecosystem, don't miss out on our daily articles written by the best experts across all industries. And we'll see you next Monday with a new You From The Top.